The following message is from Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. We've been looking at this fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, and as we've been doing for each one of these messages, I want to look at these key verses where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Um, I've been covering each one of these expressions of the fruit of the Spirit individually, but for today, we're going to actually combine goodness and kindness. And I think um, the reason for doing that is because um, they're just really closely related to one another. And I think you'll understand why as we unpack it in this message today. Um, as I've been saying numerous times, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life, really what that's saying is that we are reflecting God's own qualities, His own character in our lives. And so in order to understand what these qualities ought to look like in our life, we, we need to first understand how they represent God, how they're displayed in His life. Um, and that's what we've been doing pretty much for each one of these uh, topics that we've been looking at. And so, um, although in the list, um, kindness comes before goodness, um, I want to actually start with goodness, and then our, we'll work our way to kindness. And I, and I think it's because goodness is a bit more foundational, and kindness becomes an, an outworking of that. And I'll, I'll unpack that through uh, the, uh, just in a, in a little bit here. Um, so to talk about goodness is hard because in English, this word is just so generic. Um, we talk about a movie being good or a good dish at a restaurant or I took a good nap or um, that was a good vacation. Um, so it leaves us kind of wondering, what does it mean to say God is good? God is good. Well, Moses, when he was talking with God, uh, made this request to God and said, God, um, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And this is what God would say to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so when God tells Moses that he is going to pass in front of him in his glory, he equates his glory with his goodness. And then he further explains his goodness by saying that he is the merciful one, the compassionate one. In other words, God's goodness means that he is genuinely concerned about the welfare of others and cares for us. I, I think Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 actually captures really well kind of a summary of what it means when we say God is good. It says, He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just 
is he. When you look at the Bible and see what it has to say about God's goodness, the picture that emerges is of someone who is pure-hearted, who is always doing what is right. There is no hint of evil in him or any ulterior motives. He is fully trustworthy. He is always fair. He is always just. And not only that, but he is even generous and kind. He is always true in everything he says. And you can count on him in times of trouble. In other words, he's faithful, he's loyal. Christopher Wright says, but what lies at the heart of goodness? I think one key thing would be integrity, an absence of any kind of guile or deception. They are in reality all they appear to be. Their words and behavior on the outside matches what's going on inside. There is no sham or pretense. Good people do what they do simply because it is the right thing to do. Goodness is close to what it means to be pure in heart. Goodness has a transparent quality. Most simply, you can depend on good people to be and do what they say. They keep their word and do what is right simply because it is the right thing to do. Let me paint a couple pictures for you that might help you to wrap your mind around what it means when you're thinking of God as good. Imagine that you've gotten yourself into some serious trouble with the law, and because of that, you are summoned to appear in court for what you've done. And just before your case begins, um, and it's going to be a judge trial, right? You, your lawyer comes up and whispers in your ear, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. I've dealt with this judge a lot, and he's the one hearing your case, and you're in luck. He's a really good judge. He's a good judge. And I think those words would bring immediate relief to you, wouldn't they? And calm your anxieties if your lawyer is telling you that. Imagine another situation where your teenage daughter is dating this guy that you do not know. And you're looking at your clock and saying, it's kind of late for them to be on this date. And you're sweating bullets and you're, you're getting all unwound thinking about, who is this wolf that is after my beautiful daughter? But then you happen to run into this pastor of this guy, this boyfriend, and you're having lunch with him, and the pastor says, oh, I've known this kid all his life. Their family goes to our church. Don't worry. He's a really, really good guy, you know? It's, it's, it's that kind of an idea when we say he is good. He is good. He is good. To say God is good is to say that you are in the best hands possible. Someone who is just in his dealings with everyone and cares for others deeply. And so if that's the picture of God's goodness, then it is closely related to his kindness. The Hebrew, there's this Hebrew word called hesed. If you really pronounce it right, it's hesed, okay? It's this very guttural kind of Chesed is found throughout the Old Testament to describe God. And it's a word that is rich in meaning, and the problem is that there is no singular English word that's a perfect translation for it. And so as a result, it's translated in a lot of different ways, depending on the context. Probably the most common way that it is translated is love, though. Love. Chesed is love. But it is also often translated as mercy and also kindness. 
In older translations, it used to use this really beautiful compound word that uh, sadly we don't use anymore, and it's the word loving kindness. Loving kindness. Hesed, in other words, pictures God as someone who is faithful to his promises and, in fact, pursuing us in his generous love and mercy toward us. At the end of Psalm 23, the famous Psalm of David, it says in verse 23, uh, verse 6 of Psalm 23, surely your goodness and chesed, love, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David sees God as a faithful shepherd who in his loving kindness is actively pursuing him, caring for him, and protecting him. In other words, I think we could say this, kindness is love and goodness in action. I think there's often a lot of confusion when we think about terms like love and joy and peace because as modern hearers of these words, the truth is we often think of these things as nothing more than emotions. And when we think about love, joy, peace, we think more often kind of self-centeredly about what these things do to us, how they make us feel on the inside. But when we look at this word kindness, we can't do that, can we? Because kindness is not really an emotion at all. It's not an inner state of our heart. Kindness implies some kind of action that we have acted in some way for the benefit of someone else. That's what kindness is in its very definition. Aaron Menikoff explains the connection then between goodness and kindness in the following way. Kindness is the presence of compassion and generosity toward others. The kind person is helpful, useful, and lovingly working for the well-being of others. If goodness is the light of God shining within the human heart, then kindness is the light of God shining from the human heart. Kindness exists for the benefit of others. I think the psalmist captures this full picture of God's goodness expressed in the form of his kindness in Psalm 145. We'll just look at verses 13 to 18, although the entire psalm really captures a wonderful full picture. It says, starting in verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lift up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And so the psalmist is declaring the goodness of God through these tangible acts of kindness that his creation can experience by him keeping his promises, helping the needy, answering the call of those who are distressed. All of these things become tangible ways that we experience the goodness of God through the kindness of God. And then as ones who are made in his image, God then expects that same goodness and kindness that is true of him to be evident in our lives as well. If you look at Psalm 15, it captures this requirement very beautifully. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? 
the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slurs on them, who despises a vile person but honors those who fears the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And, you know, you say, wow, that'd be wonderful if I could live like this. But I can't. I don't know how to be this person. And as Jesus says, this life of goodness that we are called to cannot start with our actions, with our behavior. Jesus says it will inevitably flow out of the kind of person that you are on the inside. What has really been nurtured in your heart? He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 30, 43 to 45, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so what Jesus is saying is the only way to be this kind of good person that God requires is if God himself does a work in your heart first. And this is what Jesus made possible on the cross not only saving us and restoring our relationship with God, but in that saving act, giving us new life, transforming us into his own likeness as image bearers of God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul says, we are not saved by our works. We don't earn our salvation by doing good. That is an act of God's grace through our faith in him. But in that very same breath, he declares that the purpose for which you have been saved is to recover your calling as his image bearers, created to do the good works that he has ordained for you to do, even from before you were born. And so this is how works and salvation go hand in hand. Not that we earn God's approval by our works, but he saves us by grace so that we might be ones who do good work. That becomes our calling, our mission, our purpose in his kingdom. Listen to how Jesus talked about this calling of his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus equates our witness as light of this world with doing good deeds, which will cause even non-Christians to give glory to God when they witness our behavior. 
And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, you know, we tend to think of peace as the state of mind, as this like inner calm. But when we look at the biblical word for peace, shalom, it is so much bigger than that. Shalom is a picture of God's creation as God intended it to be, a place of peaceful harmony because it is all under the rule of God. And the Bible talks about goodness in that same way. Because when we read that creation account in Genesis 1, after each day of creation, it says that God looked at what he had made and he said, it is good. It is good. In other words, creation is flowing and functioning according to God's design, just the way he intended it to be. But when sin entered that creation, we know that it marred that which was good and caused this brokenness and evil to enter into our world. And so what Jesus, I believe, is saying to his disciples is, is that you are now to be a light into this darkness. As my followers, you are agents of good in a world that is filled with hostility and injustice and suffering. You become ones who are turning back the tide of that evil and bringing about my righteousness, my goodness, and restoring creation in that way. That's what we are called to as followers. That's what it means to be ones who are good, to bring about God's goodness in a broken creation in whatever way that he would allow us. I think probably, I'm going to guess most of you have seen this movie, The Blind Side, uh, filmed back in 2009. And um, it's the story about this Tennessee family, white family, who helps out this black youth who happens to be attending this Christian school. But he is the son of a drug-addicted mother who has now entered into the foster care system and has gotten lost in that system to the point where he, in essence, becomes homeless. And I want, you to, I want to show you a clip of when they first initiate uh, this relationship with him, this boy named Michael. So we'll go ahead and watch that clip, and then I'll share a few thoughts on it. Apologize so much this ain't so dark. It's more like a radio program, I guess. <laughs> Um, if you haven't watched it, it's actually a really good movie, and I think it's worth uh, renting and watching uh, at your home. I, I think probably most of you know that this movie, Blindside, is actually based on a true story of Leanne Tui and her family who take this youth named Michael into their house because they realize he has nowhere to go. He's about to sleep outside a gym on a cold, rainy night. And as they get to know him more and more, they eventually invite him to Thanksgiving dinner. And eventually, over time, he starts to become a part of their family. And then they would even end up adopting Michael as their own son. And he's so far behind academically because of his broken past that they hire a private tutor for him so he can catch up academically. And Michael will actually go on to play football at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss. And then, amazingly, he is drafted in the first round into the NFL by the Baltimore Ravens, where he would play eight seasons in the NFL before retiring. And it's hinted at in different ways throughout the movie. But Leanne's faith 
was actually very crucial to the loving kindness that she and her family showed Michael. And being interviewed about her faith, Leanne would say very unapologetically, um, there never was a decision to take in Michael. Michael was there. He had a need, and we were able to fill it. Do I think that our faith played a part in that? Absolutely. We looked over and we said, wow, that young man needs some clothes. Society had deemed Michael worthless. There were very few people who cared where Michael Orr was any minute of the day. He is now a contributing member of the society. He is intelligent. He made the dean's list in college. If it can happen to Michael Orr, it could happen to anyone. I just really hope people will walk out of this movie better than they walked in. Do something little. But whatever it is, do it well. Now, her story was made into a movie because the child she adopted became an NFL player. But the truth is, most stories don't have this fairy tale ending, do they? But I don't think that should really matter to us, should it? Because that is not our motivation. We do good because we have experienced the goodness of God in our own lives. Again, Christopher Wright says, I think the essence of kindness is being thoughtful for others more than for ourselves in any particular situation. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. In order to be kind to others, I need to put myself in their shoes and think, what would I most want or need them to do for me? And then do it for them. Kindness seems very close to what Jesus meant when he said that we should do for others whatever we wish others would do for us. Kindness can be as simple as a pleasant word or a caring smile. But more importantly, being kind means being willing to do something or to take some action that helps somebody else, even if it might be inconvenient to myself. As Wright points out, Kindness is not about having some vague sense of goodwill toward others, but it is necessarily action of that goodwill and love. It has to result in a difference in our world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let me just close with this thought as I wrap up this message. When I had been thinking about this idea of doing kindness to others, I realized, you know, in America, in our specific context, we really actually have two problems that make it so hard to practice kindness in our society. The first and obvious one is just that we're actually not very good at showing kindness to people. We're self-centered, right? We, we tend to think about what our needs are and don't care that much about the needs of others. That's, that's the obvious problem that exists. But I would actually argue probably just as significant a problem is the fact that we're also horrible at receiving kindness 
from others, aren't we? None of us want to admit that we need that kindness, even though we desperately need it. We're all so self-sufficient in America. That's the air that we breathe. We never want to admit that we need help from someone. And so here is the thing that I want to say as we think about applying a message like this. If you really want to be a kind person who practices kindness, the truth is this. You've got to be willing to step on some toes and make people even a little uncomfortable sometimes. You have to be bold and courageous if you want to be kind. Because this is all too often the transaction that happens. Oh, man, so sorry what you're going through. Do you need anything? No, no. Oh, no? Okay. Well, let me know if there's ever anything I can do. Right? That's what happens over and over again. And the truth is that person will never follow up and go, remember that time when you said if I needed it, you could, I could call you? Do they ever call you back and say that? No, they don't. We have this benevolence fund at our church. Thousands of dollars specifically earmarked for church members who are struggling and in need of financial assistance. Every year it is almost never tapped into. We have to actually think as elders about who needs this money and then try to give it to them. And they go, oh, no, no, no. Please take it. Please take it. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Because of the way our culture is in America, to really practice kindness, you have to actually violate someone's personal space and even risk embarrassing them. Because the truth is, if you ask, do you need it? They're always going to say no. Sometimes, in other words, you just have to show up at the doorstep with that basket of food or something and say, listen, I get it. I don't even know if you really need this, but I know you're going through something right now. And would you just, for me, just receive this as an expression of my care for you right now? I really feel like unless there is this kind of boldness in us and willingness to violate some social norms, this whole idea of kindness is a great thought theoretically, but is actually never practiced in the church. I think actually another obstruction to practicing kindness is this, is do we actually know what would be genuinely helpful to somebody in their moment of need? I think the problem is often we don't think about what others need very much. And so if we even want to give them something that they will really sincerely appreciate, we don't know what that is. And maybe that's saying something about our tendency to just focus on ourselves. Do you really know the people that are in your life? And when they are in a moment of need, do you actually know what they would appreciate the most in that moment and say, wow, that was so thoughtful. That was exactly what we needed. Now, the truth is, you may not get that right all the time, and it's okay. I remember when Betty's mom was um, going through her cancer and everything. We'd go by her, their parents' place and literally see the fridge chalked with food that people had dropped off. And the truth was, it was way more food than two people could possibly eat in a week. And yet, when we looked at that refrigerator, what that expressed was 
the kindness of a community that was rallying around this family to say, listen, you may have more than enough food, but just take it and know that this is us saying we care about you and how much you matter to us. And so as I close the message right now, I just want to invite you into that place of thinking about that for your own life. Who are the people that are hurting around you? Who are going through something right now? And, and we're doing this socially awkward dance like, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I asked them. And they, they were saying everything's okay, so I, I think they got it okay. And so, I don't know, I, I really feel bad for them. I wish there was something we could do. And I wonder if maybe the Holy Spirit's work in your life might be to just take some risks and be willing to sort of put yourself out there a little bit and say, hey, listen, I know you didn't even ask for this, but I've just been praying for you and I've been thinking about you. And I just wanted to do this for you and your family. And if you don't need it, that's okay. But I just wanted to do this for you. I think unless we have that level of courage and boldness, Kindness is just not going to be something that we experience or practice well in this church. Let's pray. As Jesus said, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor does a bad tree produce good fruit. Um, the behavior or the practice of kindness and goodness has to flow out of a heart that's been changed by God. And my hope as we're going through this whole series on the fruit of the Spirit is that rather than feeling like this is just one burden being unloaded on you week after week of, oh God, I already have enough to worry about. I have to, I have to worry about loving people and now it's about joy. I gotta be patient with them. And now you're telling me I have to do these random acts of kindness and drop food off at someone's doorstep. And you'd be thinking, like, oh, this is all too much. What I sincerely hope is that rather than responding to this series in that way, uh, there will be something stirred in your heart that's more about an invitation to a vision of the kind of life that God wills for all of us. And the only way that we can see that as an invitation is if. The Holy Spirit is actually doing a genuine work in our heart to remind us that this is how God has treated us. When we were pushing Him away and didn't want anything to do with Him, He is the one that pursued us and said, listen, I know you don't even really want me in your life right now, but I want you. And He invaded our personal space to save us. And what God is saying through this fruit of the Spirit is, this is who I am to you. And if you really understand that, then this is who you would be to others in your life as an overflow of what I have done for you. So let me ask you, who are the people in your life that could use a little kindness? It might be just dropping off a pastry at their desk and saying, just been thinking about you and praying for you. It might be a simple note or a card in the mail, an email or a text of encouragement. I don't know. But can I challenge you that maybe beyond the invitation to say, well, if you need anything, just let me know. Maybe it could be actually doing that act of kindness 
unsolicited and said, listen, I know you didn't ask for it and you might even be awkward or embarrassed by this a bit, but I just wanted to do this for you as an expression of my love and care for you. Would you just maybe pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit, bring to mind, God, specific people that may actually be really desperate for that act of kindness and love. Through your ministry to me, Holy Spirit, show me those faces in my life that could benefit from that act of kindness this week. Would you just pray that for just a minute or two here? And then I'm going to invite you to come to the Lord's table as we come and take communion together. But before we come to the table, just come before God and say, God, remind me that this is how you treated me. And as an overflow of that thanksgiving I have in my heart, help me to be uh, a kind person to someone in my life. Let's just pray that for a minute. Would you? Thank you.